Blog Talk Radio. Hi, and thanks for listening to the Big Time Talker Podcast on the Blog Talk Radio Network, live from my home studio, which is actually just a desk in the kitchen, I have to be honest. Uh, I'm social distancing and doing my best like everybody else. I'm Burke Allen. Thank you so much for listening. The Big Time Talker Podcast, the service of our friends at SpeakerMatch.com, the world's largest online virtual speakers bureau. If you're a meeting planner or a speaker, get together at SpeakerMatch.com and Get matched up with one another, and you can find out about the new world of virtual speaking, which has really taken off in the last uh, month or so. Man, it seems like a a year ago when it was the middle of March and we were all still going to the office, and it's just not. Hey, today we're going to talk COVID-19 and ways to fight it. Dr. Robert Silverstein is our guest. He's a medical director at the Preventative Medicine Center in Hartford, Connecticut, going to tell us all about the novel coronavirus, where it originated. He's got a a full, uh, very extensive background paper on uh, his website, which is thepmc.org, thepmc.org. And Dr. Silverstein joins us on the Big Time Talker podcast. I know you're busy, doctor. Thank you for spending some time with us today. We really appreciate it. Glad to be a help. So we've been taking questions uh, at 516-418-5635 and also in our chat room. I'm going to try to get to as many of these questions as I can, but uh, I'd like to get just a little bit of background from you because you really are, uh, along with being a physician, a, a researcher, and you've really studied this thing going all the way back to the origin, uh, the origin rather, of the virus, how it spread from China and now around the globe, and, and these possible vaccines and alternative medicines that that may or may not work. So uh, briefly, could you fill our listeners in on, on sort of your background and, and, and how you got into the learning mode about COVID-19? Well, um, I'm one of those people that gets interested in sort of whatever from time to time. And this one seemed obvious. Uh, it, obviously, it's a part of my practice. Patients uh, have this. I'm in Hartford, Connecticut. Uh, Connecticut is one of the three hotspots on the East Coast, uh, being New Jersey, New York, and Connecticut. And so we have lots of this, but uh, it just caught my attention by the way it was developing and the way it was being uh, handled uh, in the news media as well as politically. So I thought I would uh, just write a definitive paper. And uh, as you said, it's on my website. For anybody who can't find the website, they can Google my name, H. Robert Silverstein, M.D., You'll find the link, and it'll go directly to the website, which has this uh, long paper that has tons of information in it. Now, what I'd like to do is give a little bit of perspective. That's sort of my main thing, perspective here. In 1348, the year 1348, the Black Plague killed almost half the world's population. So that's to get a sense of perspective. We're now talking about 2% or 3% with the current coronavirus. And uh, then there was also another coronavirus called MERS, Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, and that was one-third lethal. But fortunately, it was sort of caught and limited and very small. Um, The swine flu of 2009-2010 originated in Mexico, came across the border, And that was in the United States seven months before the government called a national emergency. 
So uh, I think that uh, we want to congratulate the current administration for having moved much uh, quicker than the previous. Uh, but regardless, we are where we are, and it's a hell of a mess. So um, at this point, I think that the social distancing thing is correct, but I do think there's a lot of misleading information, both in the press and somewhat uh, from these uh, statistics groups, the IMHE, about how severe and how bad it's going to be in the United States. It's turning out to be about twice to three times as bad as the seasonal flu. Now, the seasonal flu, let me give you some perspective on that. It's in the paper. Um, Let's see. I'm not quickly finding it. So uh, in the United States, we're doing better than Europe uh, is. Europe has many more cases and many more deaths, and our uh, rate of... um, of uh, recovery is uh, very high compared to the rest of the world. Dr. Silverstein is our guest today, Dr. Robert Silverstein with the Preventative Medicine Center in Hartford, Connecticut, and he's written an exhaustive uh, paper that gives you all the information that he has uncovered in his research into COVID-19. It's available at thepmc.org. That's preventativemedicinecenter.org, thepmc.org. So, uh, you mentioned some misleading information and guidance that that's out there. And certainly you can hear lots and lots of different things. And I think that's why a lot of folks are, are understandably scared and nervous because they're not on sure footing. So I'd love to ask you some specific questions. And the first is you talked about, this is maybe not as, as bad as we thought. And I wonder if, uh, in the latest information, they, they've uh, backed off on, on the death tolls. And, and, of course, they're still still horrid. It, you know, in the beginning, it was 200,000, then 100,000, then 60,000. There will be folks, doctor, that, that say, look, this was totally overblown all along. You know, this was uh, these medical folks that just wanted their, their 15 minutes. And, and, and my thought is that's a false narrative, that the social distancing is what helped tamp down these these death tolls that the totals that they're now expecting but i'd love to hear your perspective as a medical doctor and somebody who's done you know hundreds of hours of research into this well um you're largely correct uh one of the points that i would make though is when they calculate the death rate they're counting anybody who's uh, coronavirus positive you may have come in with a heart attack or what we call sepsis a bacterial infection in the blood or had a stroke, and if you're coronavirus positive, they're counting that as a coronavirus death. Uh, That is not appropriate. There are 7,500 people who die every year in the United States. Now, if you divide that by 365, I didn't do the math, but that's how many people we could expect to die on a daily basis anyhow. So um, I think the death rate is much smaller. On the other hand, there's no doubt about it, this thing can cause a very serious lung uh, pneumonia uh, that uh, is being treated with uh, some people are requiring respirators, and that's another ventilators. Uh, That's another uh, uh, point that is now coming under question, whether that is being done correctly. So usually when people get on uh, ventilators, uh, there is high pressure, And that is probably working against the patient in this circumstance. 
Also, if they paralyze the patient, which they do in order to control people and make them comfortable, they also give them pain-relieving medication so they're not awakened on a respirator. Uh, there is a new medication which is being uh, out there. It, I have a little trouble pronouncing it. Shugamadex, S-U-G-A-M-M-A-D-E-X. And that is better than the usual variety of medication that is used and withdrawn in people who are put on ventilators. It gives much less lethality and many fewer lung complications. This information about how to deal with patients on the respirators is very recent and it's not completely settled. But uh, the old-fashioned way that we did it is wrong, uh, largely wrong for this population. Of course, some of the time it will be right. But uh, anyhow, uh, there are things that can be done to mitigate, uh, to reduce the harm here, and those are things like intravenous vitamin C, which is being tried in standard hospitals in New York City in high dose, 4 to 12,000 milligrams a day. And I'm a supporter, a supporter, believer, I, those are the wrong words, but the hydroxychloroquine uh, combination with azithromycin with zinc actually works. Now, once again, the, phys the physicians seeking their 15 minutes of fame are very hesitant. A friend of mine who's a great psychiatrist said something uh, that I thought was very insightful. Those formal people, Burks and Fauci and uh, Washington, D.C., uh, want double-blind, placebo-controlled crossover studies when Rome is burning. This needs to be dealt with now. We don't have time for those studies. You have to use your intuition and best guess, and the best physicians have the best guessing rate. And there's no doubt about it in my mind that the hydroxychloroquine, azithromycin, zinc combination is extremely low risk. And everybody who's talking about all the downsides, the heart issues, the arrhythmias, that's a tiny, tiny, tiny portion that's going to happen uh, much less frequently than the, the detriment from the coronavirus infection itself. So uh, I'm a big believer in that. Dr. Robert Silverstein is our guest today. He's the medical director of the Preventative Medicine Center in Hartford, Connecticut, and uh, he's done extensive research and study on COVID-19. Uh, you talked about uh, those medications, and there is certainly a ton of uh, uh, media pushback and folks on both sides there. Are you saying in an ideal world, certainly we would have lots of research on this, but we're not in an ideal world? And, and you know, would, would you have any hesitation in prescribing those medications to patients with COVID-19 that uh, were in your practice? I already have. And what are the results? Uh, excellent results. All right, Prompt improvement uh, within a day or so, and that's the general experience that is uh, coming from around the world, from China, from France, uh, from uh, there's uh, upstate New York. There's this uh, uh, physician with a name something like Zelenko. He has a huge series. I sort of don't trust things the way he's putting it out exactly, but I think he is correct. You see, when people listen to me, they're going to think, oh, he's a little wishy-washy and he doesn't seem to have many facts. The practice of medicine is the use of good judgment. The best physicians have the best judgment. 
this is a circumstance where judgment is required. Some people are going to do it correctly, and some people are going to do it incorrectly. And you're hearing my judgment, and nobody's obligated to do anything, but I'm telling you what I think, since this is my proverbial 15 minutes of fame, <laughs> and and uh, it's what I believe in. All right, now, well, there are a bunch of other you... things that I also recommend. There's a product called Immune Renew. That enhances immunity. There's another uh, product. Uh, by the way, I have no economic uh, benefit from anything I say. Immune Fair Renew enough. by the company Now, N-O-W. Uh, Host Defense has a uh, immune-stimulating uh, product. Another company, O-M. These are all extracts of yeast that contain what's called beta-glucan. And beta-glucan has been shown scientifically to increase dendritic cells, which are the cells that are macrophages and go in and eat up little invaders, and uh, the proper lymphocytes uh, that are also attacking foreign agents that are invaders. And so I am a believer in this. And the same thing goes for vitamin C and green tea extract. I would have people drinking green tea. But uh, now let's change the subject just a slight little bit. What am I against? I'm against refined foods. I'm against sugar. The most dangerous food in my best slash worst guess is anything having to do with milk. Yes, I'm opposed to yogurt, skim milk, 1%, 2%, light and lively, cottage cheese, ice cream, cream half and half, light and lively, something in your tea or coffee like that. And um, I, I really believe that it's almost like an allergy. Now, why do I say that? First of all, I was trained in holistic medicine beginning in the 1980s, and that doesn't make it right or wrong. But I've learned some things as a conventional cardiologist and board-certified internist, board-certified cardiologist, that there is benefit to some of the ideas from alternative medicine in conventional Western medicine. So while I prescribe uh, hydroxychloroquine and prednisone and azithromycin and, and so on, I also prescribe Tai Chi and yoga and um, uh, immune renew and uh, other uh, kinds of things. Fair enough. Dr. Robert Silverstein is our guest today. He is the medical director at the Preventative Medicine Center in Hartford, Connecticut. He's done hundreds of hours of research on COVID-19. You can find the uh, the white paper about it. Uh, downloadable for free at thepmc.org. And I see all your questions, and we're, uh, we're going to try to chunk out as many of those as we can in our remaining time with Dr. Silverstein. Um, my last question, and then I'll get to our listeners' questions, what would it take then to get buy-in on some of these uh, additional medications uh, you know, from the, the general public and the media? What's it going to take to, to sort of move the needle in that direction? All right. Uh, for uh, I need that question reworded. You want to know about the alternative stuff, or you want to know about the conventional stuff? I want to know about the well. I, I think for for both, but certainly, uh, you know, the Z packs, for example. I, I'm not sure that that anyone you know is is hearing from the media or or even in you know the White House briefings that that's going to make a difference. And and I'm hearing you say as a cardiologist, you're using it and it's helping. Well, I think uh, Trump's intuition on this was correct. You can vote Democrat, you can vote Republican. I think Trump was right. 
he called it early on and then later made the addition of the Z-Pack, and then uh, people started warning him about arrhythmias, and uh, frankly, I think that's nonsense. Uh, there, There's an argument in the medical literature about whether azithromycin causes arrhythmias, but I've been prescribing that ever since it first came on the market, and now it's gone generic. I don't know how many years that takes. I think it takes 12 years, and I've never had a complication from my use of uh, the azithromycin Z-Pack. Uh, zinc itself is uh, entirely benign. Uh, I don't recommend any of this long-term. I'm not a believer in prophylactic use of these medications unless you're literally a healthcare worker dealing with coronavirus-infected patients, such as people in the ICU uh, and so on. But um, uh, what's it going to take? Uh, it's going to take common sense. It's going to take people standing up for what they believe in. Uh, it's a political discussion, and I think that if people are polite and friendly, that they can convince their physician to prescribe these medications if they want it. What about the alternative stuff? That's in my paper. It's there for everybody to get on their own and to decide if that's what they want to do. Green tea extract, uh, astaxanthin, vitamin C, um, uh, all kinds of things uh, such as that are, label, are listed towards the bottom of the paper. Fair enough, and that will help you get in front of it. Okay, I'm going to try to chunk through some of these questions that have come into us on our, our chat room. Uh, doctor, uh, this listener wants to know why it is that it seems that less women than men uh, have fallen victim to COVID-19. Any thoughts on that? Any idea? I think that in general, women are more careful in what they do. I think uh, this will get me in hot water. I think women are cleaner than men. Uh, Fair enough. And... Um, uh, plus the fact that there may be an undiscovered as yet uh, hormonal link. So there may be something to estrogen and uh, progesterone, and there may be something adverse about testosterone. But I think men take more chances just in general, and uh, I think, uh, as I said, women are more careful. Our guest is Dr. Robert Silverstein. He's in the middle of it up in uh, Connecticut, Hartford, Connecticut. He's a medical director of the Preventative Medicine Center there, and he's done a ton of research. You can find it all at thepmc.org. Next question. Uh, when you go get groceries or you go to the drugstore, do you need to clean those items when you bring them back into the house? One of the things I did not put in my paper is this wonderful video of this fellow who talks about how to shop and bring home food. When you go to the grocery store, you should wear gloves. You should have a mask. You should keep your social distancing. And then you should put it in containers. When you get it home, you should, uh, thank goodness for the better weather, you should take it out of the bags, and then you should wipe it down with like a Lysol uh, scrub uh, and clean off the outside of the pack. And then, uh, now those are for the containers. Once the food inside, uh, unless it's uh, pre-prepared, like you bought spaghetti already cooked, which I don't think is a great idea, shouldn't be buying right. pre-prepared food now because who knows who touched it and so on. But uh, on the other hand, uh, let's say you bought uh, oranges. Okay, so what I do is I uh, clean the pack.
hack before I take it in the house. And then when I do, I fill my sink with water and put in some vinegar and leave it soak. And then when I uh, when I'm after about five minutes, I take it out and use paper towels to wipe each piece of fruit uh, or vegetable down. Um, and and uh, that's what I think is the proper technique. But there's this fellow who has this wonderful video, and I'm sorry I can't give it to you, but I'll bet it's easy enough to find, like how to shop uh, for food uh, safely during the coronavirus. I think you put that in Google, you'll get the right video. Fair enough. Well, what about uh, uh, things like your mail or, or prepackaged foods? You know, if you pick up something frozen uh, and then you toss it in your freezer here, should you wipe down your, your mail from the post office and, and those prepackaged things or canned foods? Well, again, that's one of the things I address in the paper. And, okay. um, <clears throat> and what I say is that uh, if you leave your mail sit uh, in two days' time, it has one one hundredth of the virus that it would have had on it before uh, at the time that it was touched by somebody with the coronavirus. I think people are being careful. Uh, the uh, post office is wearing gloves. Uh, the employees are wearing gloves. <laughs> kind of hard to find a glove big enough for the post office. Uh, <laughs> and um, uh, so I think that in general it's pretty safe, but I think that unless it would destroy what you've received, it's not a bad idea. I like those Lysol wipes. Now, you may say, well, I can't get those. Use vinegar. Use peroxide. And I give the directions for that in the paper. Great advice from Dr. Robert Silverstein in Hartford, Connecticut. What about, uh, and you and I talked about this a little bit off the air uh, before we well, what, what's going to happen in small towns and rural areas where social distancing, for the most part, is, is already happening? You know, people don't live on top of one another like they do, for example, in Manhattan or, or here in Washington, D.C., where it's not so densely populated. Will you still see this uh, COVID-19 roll through and be a real a problem for small towns and rural areas or no? Not to the same extent. Yes, it's going to come. It's going to come everywhere. But I think that uh, the current uh, social distancing thing, use of masks and gloves and being careful and uh, avoiding contact except for people who are already in the house, um, will uh, work out uh, to a very small problem. So, again, the usual signs and symptoms, uh, yes, there is this high incidence of asymptomatic carriers who can spread it. But uh, uh, if you have a cough, a fever, uh, then you need to be evaluated with testing. Uh, you require a, a specific referral to get uh, testing uh, at most places. And uh, you will likely be quite safe in small towns throughout the nation. Well, that's good news for lots of our listeners. Dr. Robert Silverstein is our guest today. He's a cardiologist and medical director in Hartford, Connecticut at the Preventative Medicine Center. And I, I see the questions keep coming in. I'm going to try to get as many of them as I can. Um, this is a, a sort of a long involved question, so I'm going to try to boil it down. Uh, the listener says, in regards to your conversation about ventilators earlier, would you resist at all costs uh, going on the vent in the hospital? That's a great question, I guess. So if, if you're really sick, uh, do you push back on 
on going on the ventilator as long as humanly possible? Or I guess would a physician, uh, you know, instinctively do that and, and only put you on a vent as a last resort? As a matter of fact, <laughs> that's not the case. Uh, they really? were following numbers before, and when the saturation got down to a certain point, uh, they were putting people on ventilators. It turns out some of those people are sitting there, conversational, not short of breath, and are basically fine. Now, I don't have a good scientific explanation for that, but this is being documented over and over again. So the point being is I wouldn't let anybody do anything to me as long as I wasn't short of breath, feeling bad, and I was still able to have a reasonable conversation. So, And then uh, you want as low a pressure as possible to be used in that ventilator. One of the things I talk about is a product from Israel called Cough Sync, and that's good for aspirating thick mucus. I don't know if that's available here in the United States. Uh, the other thing is that, uh, uh, I'm, again, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, Shugamadex uh, for coming off is much safer uh, than uh, the standard method of coming off the ventilator. And so, um, uh, and I would want vitamin C, and I'd want hydroxychloroquine, azithromycin, and uh, zinc, uh, because that'll shorten the time on the ventilator. There was a, a an interesting article that I read a couple of days ago um, in the New York Times that said that um, the reason for the high um, estimates of deaths in the United States is that the White House didn't expect most Americans to to buy into social distancing. Their estimates were only 50% of Americans would buy in, when in fact it looks like 90% you know, really follow those social distancing guidelines. I'm curious if you think that is what has caused the these estimates of, of death totals to back off. Is it because more people actually bought into it than, than were previously expected? I, I find fault with the people who came up with those numbers. The World Health Organization has been very inflammatory. I personally feel that the World Health Organization uh, has handled this uh, politically, favoring China. Um, people are going to wonder if I'm a registered Republican. The fact of the matter is I'm a registered Democrat. But I've got to give credit where credit is due, and I think Trump has been ahead of the game. Now, people will say he didn't do this and he didn't do that. We can talk about each individual point while the Democrats uh, ran the uh, impeachment while this thing was blossom, while the coronavirus thing was blossoming. I mean, how much attention can you give when you're being impeached? Uh, but a, even at that, he did it. And uh, the World Health Organization has been statistically wrong. I think the uh, the IMHE, those people who came up with the original numbers, uh, I just don't think they knew what they were doing. I think that uh, those organizations are wrong, and I think those organizations ought to be, the word that was in my mind was punished, but that's not the right thing. Uh, they ought to be excoriated. Um, the, I believe the press, like New York Times, is simply trying to cover for the opposition. I have a big uh, problem with the New York Times. They've been very, uh, they and the Washington Post have distorted things a great deal, and um uh, it's just a damn shame 
that uh, those numbers were so projected. Uh, so projected. There's this fellow who's a full professor at the University of uh, of uh, Pennsylvania. His name is Zeke Emanuel. He's a physician. This guy is doom and gloom. This this is now a time for optimism. Things are improving, but yet they're, he's talking about this whole thing going on for 18 months. I'm telling you that things are going to start opening up May 1st, and um, the turnaround is here. Trump was right about Easter. That's when things are going to really begin to tone down. But you're correct. People did do the social distancing thing because th- – this is literally like a war, and people are on war footing. So they've paid attention, and they've made efforts to get their gloves, uh, gloves, masks, and so on. I think one of the things where Trump is wrong is about testing. He's very proud of his million tests. That's one three hundred and thirtieth of what needs to be done. I tried doing the calculation. I'm so far away from my math, I couldn't do it. It was so small. I think that's like zero point zero three percent so um, so no no it's three tenths of a percent so uh, uh, the bottom line is what is needed now more than anything is massive scale up on reliable testing the federal government uh, the CDC uh, was unprepared. The Obama administration did not prepare the Trump administration. They said uh, this could happen, but they weren't prepared themselves in case it had happened during that administration. So yes, Trump uh, didn't uh, build his respirators and ventilators and uh, gowns and so on, but uh, he, this was built on all previous administrations not taking such a possibility seriously. Dr. Robert Silverstein, our guest today. Hey, thanks for listening. Bye, everybody.